0: Howard from the Perdomo Cigar Studios on the, the Black Stage in Indian Trail, North Carolina, and broadcasting from the Drew State Studios in California. It's episode 261 of the Primetime Show. Tonight, we welcome back James Brown of Oveja Neyra Brands. And, as always, the Primetime Show is sponsored by Saga Cigars. Delos Reyes introduced another chapter of the saga. Saga Selez. Selez is a Spanish word that means leisure after work in the spirit of the standing idea of owning your own journey and making your own saga. Saga Celez is the perfect companion to enrich those moments of choice, making them truly yours. The Saga Selez carries a bundle of Criollo Allure and Piloto Cubano wrapped in a selected ecuador shade Claro wrapper that generously delivers with elegance a surprisingly rich and balanced smoke. It's available in three sizes at an affordable price. Ask your retailer for Saga Selez. And by Perdomo Cigars, awarded Nicaraguan Cigar of the Year in 2014 by Cigar Journal, the Perdomo 20th anniversary brand has consistently earned the highest scores in the industry and is a top seller in humidors around the world. The Perdomo 20th anniversary blend requires tobacco, has been carefully hand selected and are well aged for a minimum of eight years. The Perdomo 20th anniversary is offered in three distinct wrappers, a smooth creamy Ecuadorian Connecticut, a rich earthy Cuban seed Nicaraguan Sungrown, and a dark oil Cuban seed Nicaraguan Maduro. Combining these beautifully bourbon barrels wrappers with, high, bar, with thick high priming binder and filler tobaccos gives each blend a balanced complexity with layers of rich flavors and smooth, elegant aromas. Perdomo Scott is a family owned and operated company headquartered in Miami, Florida, with manufacturing and agricultural facilities in Esteli, Nicaragua. Perdomo's highly acclaimed cigar brands include the Perdomo State Selection Vintage, the Perdomo Double H 12 year Vintage, Perdomo 20th Anniversary, Perdomo Reserve 10th Anniversary, Perdomo Abano Bourbon Barrels. Perdomo Lot 23, Perdomo Mensa 70, and many more. For great tasting notes and pairing information, check out the Perdomo website at www.perdomocigars.com. And I'll mention Cavalier of Geneva, Cavalier Cigars, Cavalier Cigars, smoke gold, stay gold. Join the inner circle and follow Cavalier Cigars on Instagram at Cavalier underscore cigars and on Facebook at Cavalier Geneve Cigars. That's Geneva, Geneve, G-E-N-E-V-E. You can visit the local tobacconist and join the movement that is Cavalier Cigars. They're consistently regarded by cigar lovers everywhere, as, as well as high ratings from the cigar industry press. Again, you want to follow them on Instagram at Cavalier underscore cigars because they do unique giveaways throughout the whole year. Cavalier Cigars. Smoke gold, stay gold. And finally, by Drew Estate. Dark, bold, and unapologetic. Black and Cigars M81 by Drew Estate is an intense journey into the uncharted, deepest, darkest, and heaviest depths of Maduro tobacco. A masterpiece collaboration between Metallica's James Hetfield, Sweet Amber Distillings Rob District, and Drew Estate's Jonathan Drew, the all Maduro Black and Cigars M81 by Drew Estate is rich and powerful, but beautifully balanced, offering tantalizing notes of leather, chocolate, and espresso that's perfect for both life celebration and times of reflection. You can find them at your Drew Diplomat retailer. And remember, all the live streaming for the Primetime Networker shows, as well as the California studios for the Primetime show, sponsored exclusively by Drew Estate. Well, welcome, everybody. This is Primetime episode 261. This is the final Thursday of the month of March, March 30th. Will Cooper. I am in the Pernambuco Studios here. Um, and Aaron Loomis will be joining us a little later as last week. But um, So we will, don't worry. Aaron will be on. Um, so stay tuned on that. Um, and uh, it's going to be interesting going through this interview tonight because I, I, I love uh, talking to James. I'm just hoping my voice holds out tonight. <laughs> so uh, without further ado, I'm going to bring him right on to the show, making his return to the primetime show. He's the one and only James Brown. James, welcome back to primetime.
1: Always good to be here, Coop. Thanks for
0: having me. Thanks a lot. Um, By the way, uh, much easier getting you connected than we tried last June, I remember. So uh, I remember you said you did some Internet upgrades and your picture looks fantastic as well as the sound. So
1: um, it's good to hear. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So you definitely have some upgrades, there, which is great.
1: Yeah, you know, and it's 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 always tricky here. Yeah. Either the connection or the power or something. So, yeah, yeah, thankfully the weather's good right now. Internet connection's good, so we'll just hope that it stays that way.
0: That's good. That's good to hear. Um, and by the way, it was really good seeing you uh, back in the end of January at Poor Sabor at uh, the final night. Um, yeah, you definitely. Ma- you you made the dinner. Like I'm not really a big fan of those sit down dinners but you made it really fun that night. So it was very enjoyable with, with Angela and your friends that night. So I really appreciate you guys letting me uh, sit there because those are difficult nights for me to sit through with a dinner like that.
1: Yeah, no, I I agree with you a hundred percent. It's definitely not the easiest thing. So
0: No, I'm like, <laughs> la- yeah, I'm like the person. Um, if we go out to a restaurant, I want to be like done in like 45 minutes. Like that's just how I am. So right. I, I don't have a lot of patience, but sometimes. I mean,
1: yeah, I mean, for you, though, that was, what, like, number three or four of that yeah. trip? The same yeah. Same thing every
0: night? Yeah, and I was really tired, and I had to get one of those early buses to the airport the next day, and, and James, like, uh, luckily found me the bus. Like, he's – I think the bus has just come. So I was like, I'm gone. See ya. <laughs> yeah, it was fun, though. It was good. It was good. No, I do I, – like I said, um do appreciate um, – A lot of good times. I don't think we've had a chance to really be in that type of setting ever. So uh, I really enjoyed it. Uh, Great cigars, great company. So I couldn't complain as well. Um, But no, definitely do appreciate you. It's been a while since we've had you on for a full show. I think it's, um, I want to say beginning of 2021 was the last time we've had you on. So it's been a while since we've done a full show with you.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it. it, yeah, I guess this is like, what, number three or? Yeah, number
0: three, but I I was yeah, looking yeah. we had you on for the show. uh I know we had you on for when we do the PCA thing. Um right, right. But we hadn't had you on for show sh- since 169. Oh cool. So um so yeah, it's been a while and I'm really excited to uh because I think uh, there's a lot of exciting things that just continue to happen and um you know with, with what you've been doing. But let's kind of like get into some stuff right now and you know the first thing I've noticed um is you've definitely these connecticut's that you've been releasing they've they've just taken off it seems like and now um you have taken two of your connecticut's that you've done and you basically have incorporated them into your core lines now
1: yeah yeah we did you know it was those cigars were always kind of a an interesting thing for us because when they first came out you know I was very nervous about them and didn't really know how they were going to be received. And, um, but both of them, the porcelain and the killer bee, Connecticut, kind of blew up when we released them. People really fell in love with those with the cigars. And so, um, you know, we took a little time and figured out how how best to approach those cigars uh, in terms of re-releasing them as a as a limited again. Um, but then the demand was just there that you know we we decided to bring it into the, the core line production.
0: Yeah, and um they they just seem to just have really taken off. I mean porcelain went first, right? And then Connecticut's more recently Kilby, Connecticut went more recently.
1: Yes. Yeah,
0: correct. Um as far as um so the porcelain was originally it was started as a um it was an offshoot of deliver, of the deliverance line, right? Yes. Yeah. but now it's kind of, is it kind of more standalone would you say right now at this point? Like not really deliverance yeah. porcelain, but it's porcelain.
1: I mean, I think so. Yeah. I mean, it's still categorized as, as part of the deliverance lineup. Um, but you know, it, it definitely has carved its own niche in our portfolio and, and in with our customers. So right. it's, it's insane to me that, you know, after all these years, 10 years into it, that, we've come to have a Connecticut as our number one selling skew, you know, out of everything that we've done um, that's has moved its way up there. So which is kind of cool. Yeah. I mean, I was reading
0: the commercial for the black end early on, but, but I mean, you're you're you've done the dark bold and you've done those dark bold cigars for many, many years. Like, so mm-hmm. that's, what, that's what you kind of, we grew up with, with, with you. Yeah. It's kind of ironic that a uh, Connecticut, James, you said, if, if anyone asked if James Brown can do a Connecticut, I think the, the answer has been, made here i mean these are real you know you know i'm in love with that robusto porcelain too i mean that's a fabulous yeah.
1: yeah so i think you know we we took a very different approach to it and i i think that people have done you know kind of a little bit bolder connecticuts throughout the years um but i think what we did with porcelain especially and also uh you know the killer bee connecticut I, I feel like it, it really works and it and it makes sense. And, you know, people respond to, to it uh, very positively, which I was very happy to see because it was important for me to, you know, not go too far out of our box. I wanted right. to cigars that were still appealing to our core group of, of customers, um, but also to new people. You know, it's a great intro product into to what we do and to our other lines.
0: Yeah, no, I, I agree with that as well. You, uh, you know, was it, as far as blending goes, when you were blending these cigars, I mean, you, you took several years before you released the Connecticut. Was was it more challenging to work with the Connecticut than doing the Maduros and some of the Habanos you've done over and other wrappers over the
1: years? Yeah, I think it was, because I think when it comes to Connecticut's, like your big fear as a blender or a manufacturer is to not put out, you know, just another generic Connecticut that somebody feels like they've smoked before, you know? So it's a, it's a very tricky thing because there's there's a lot of preconceived notions on what a Connecticut should be, you know? And so to kind of break that mold and then do something really unique and really different, um, at least for me, it took a long time to kind of get there. And I had actually developed porcelain and was done with it for probably about a year before we actually decided to release it, Um, just because I was so nervous about putting it out there. I I really, personally, I thought it was going to be a flop. I mean, I thought, you know, our hardcore group of Black Label smokers were just going to kind of, you know, that's not for me. I'm not a Connecticut smoker. Um, So, yeah, it was a a long process, and it took time, but, you know, eventually we just kind of went for it. Yeah, no, I mean, it was, uh, and normally I'm
0: um, not a fan of the Boulder Connecticut, but I really liked what you did um, because, I mean, it really came down to the flavors were, were, were there. It was just, there was yeah. flavors and, you know, um, the Boulder Connecticut's a lot of them haven't done it for me, but, but uh, particularly on you know, the, the porcelain, especially, um, you know, like I said, that Robusto size is, is amazing Um, for you for that. Thank um, you. Yep. In terms of, you know, you did move, a, these were allegedly limited, right? But were they limited? Were they always intended to be limited? Or in this case, were they limited just to kind of test the waters more or less?
1: Um, you know, I would say that with us, we we honestly, we really just never know. Like, you know, when we mm-hmm. put out a cigar, um, you know, I, I, he, he, our limited is a good example because, you know, we keep them coming back annually. Like I, I hate to put out a, first of all, put in the time, the effort, the energy to develop a, a cigar and have it be a one and done. Right. You know, like so, we're always open to whatever you know our customers and the market tells us makes sense. You know, so a lot of times things come out as a limited, and then you know, if people respond well, if the demand is there, and there's really no reason um, you know, with tobacco issues or anything like that, then it makes sense to kind of make that an everyday available product, you know? So we did that with porcelain. We did it with the killer bee, Connecticut. We just recently at uh, TPE did it with the, the Santa Muerte, which used to be a limited as well. Yeah. We brought into the core line. So, um, you know, when we release a limited or a new cigar in general, you just, you never really know, um, where it's going to be in the next year or two years, uh, it just kind of is what makes sense for us.
0: Yeah. And even though you're saying something is regular production, you would still consider that small batch, right? As opposed to because you're not making unlimited amounts of these. There's still a limited amount, but you're just doing it now on a more regular basis.
1: Right. Correct. Yeah.
0: Yeah, and I I think that's work. I said I think that's what's you know worked really well. So in in reality, a lot of your stuff you could say everything is limited. It's just you have some stuff that's ongoing, is more or less.
1: Yeah, you know, I mean, our core line is. I think the the difference is is that you know we work really hard to keep uh, consistency in what we consider to be our core line products. You know, so for me, that's kind of an everyday job of of making sure that you know. This batch is going to be the same as the last batch, and the next batch is going to be the same as that. So, you know, that's the thing with the core line is everything is still produced in smaller batches, but it's about that consistency over time. Whereas, you know, with the limiteds, I really like to kind of let them be a specific vintage. You know, right, we keep right. the The blends are the same, the proportions are the same, um, but the tobacco kind of speaks for itself. So that's gonna that's kind of the difference there. You know.
0: Yeah, I agree. I mean, it's it's a lot of fun for me, and I think I probably said this on previous like a line like morphine. I can compare more, you know, the morphine from this year, maybe from a morphine from a few years ago, and it is fun to compare and contrast those things. And, and just as a cigar enthusiast, I love comparing vintages there. So yeah. yeah, and I look for basically the DNA to be the same, but you know, there's slight nuances you'll get that a difference. I mean, that's what I look for, and I think that's what's fun about it.
1: Yeah, definitely. I mean, you want to keep that kind of signature profile, but, you know, if there are differences in strength and spice and different variations, I think that's really unique and interesting. And, you know, I love to see that as well of what, you know, this year is going to be versus the years before. Right,
0: right. What what has really impressed me about kind of knowing you for as long as I have and following your company is you you've kind of found a way i think to make the limited edition model work very well i think where other companies have i don't want i'm not going to call any company but i'm just saying you you seem to have found a way to make it work and i think it's a this is just my feedback a lot of things you just said about you know you do come out with these things you know on on you know sometimes some of them are on an annual basis and um you know i know certain times of the year is when i can probably look forward to that so i, I is that kind of been your secret here what because i really believe your
1: limited edition models worked very very well you know i don't know um i think we just kind of we kind of adapted this model early on to to see how it would work because you know for me i i, I still get really super excited about making cigars and i love yeah. putting out I love putting out new products and developing a new product, but I also get just as excited about you know working on the next Bishop's Blend or Morphine or um, you know any of the Blackwork stuff, the limiteds that come out. So um, to me, it just keeps it fresh and it keeps it interesting. And you know, you you still get these cigars that you love. You may not get it every year, but you know you know that it is going to come back at some point. So. I think that it works well because it it keeps people interested and it keeps them hungry for the product. And, you know, if you haven't had, you know, like I'm smoking the new S and R that just came out, you know, we haven't done that cigar for a couple of years now. So everybody gets excited to to have it come back. Um, And so it's, it's just a, like I said, it's something that we tried out early on and it really started to work with the stuff that we were doing and, and we stuck with it and, you know, it's, the tough thing for us, I guess, is, you know, this industry is very much driven by a what's new right. uh, mindset, you know, and and I understand that and I get that. And so for us, it's tough to sometimes find the balance between new products and kind of everybody's old favorites, you know, that they want to see come back every year, or every other year, you know, because, you know, there's only so many that we can yeah. do throughout the year. so that's kind of a tough thing for us. It's like, okay, like what is the year going to look like? How much new stuff versus, you know, the older stuff.
0: No, I, I agree. Do you, do you, uh, I was actually going to just ask you this. So, you know, you, over the years you've come up with a nice portfolio of these limiteds, but then it gets to a point where you can't release every one of them every year. So is it like, almost like picking between your kids sometimes if something has to kind of, you know, sit out this particular year,
1: you know, it really is. And it's, <laughs> Not only is it that, but it's like, you know, you just you're never going to make everybody happy. Right. Like, yeah, I remember, you know, a couple of years ago was the first year that um, we hadn't done morphine since 2014. And man, people were pissed, you know, so it was like, but, you know, there's there's only so much you can do. And, and, you know, you want to try to get the new stuff out, too. And um, so, yeah, it's it's tough. And at some point we have to make that decision and we're, I know that we're going to hear about it from one direction or the other, but um either way, whatever it is, whatever release it is, it will come back at some point. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And
0: uh you know, and sometimes you can look at it like, well, but since out of year, it just kind of builds up the anticipation for the following year, even though some people may be upset, but you know, it, that, I think it does give you something to look forward to sometimes.
1: No, uh, definitely. You know, and I think, The other thing that, you know, people don't understand sometimes is not only is it this balance between new product and and older product, but it's also, you know, sometimes the tobacco for certain cigars just isn't as good as it could be for that particular cigar that year. You know what I mean? So um, sometimes the tobacco kind of dictates what we're going to release as well. And, um, you know, sometimes it's either it's not really the best Uh, for that particular blend, or we can't get enough of it to do, you know, a large enough release to make it make sense. So uh, there's a lot of different factors that go into it.
0: Sure. Sure. No, I I get That's a very good point as well. Um, When you're blending, is there a size that like you blend that you blend to? Is there a particular size
1: you pick for the blend or is it, do you change it from blend to blend? Um, If it's something completely new for me, that I want to develop, I like to do kind of like a four and a half to five inch in like a 46 uh, ring gauge. And to me, that's kind of a very good representation of filler to wrapper ratio. Um, so that to me is kind of the, the true representation of the blend um, because it's a good balance between the filler, the wrapper. Um, and then so once I, I develop something that I like in that size, then it's all a question of which direction it's going to go in terms of whatever different vitolas, uh, we decide to do with it. But that's kind of my go-to size for, for creating right. something. Right. And I've
0: noticed that Corona Gorda is a size I see in a lot of lines around mm-hmm. that 46 to 48 ring gauge. Um, yeah. so, um, I definitely have seen that. Do you, so here's an interesting thing. I was just kind of looking, you know, as I was prepping for the show, um, and a lot of your lines, I'll put more on the limited end, you know, if I looked at, like, what what, what I see in the market today, um, chances are I see a line done in a 5x50, 6x52, 6x60. You've you completely gone against the grain with that and, and not done that. Yeah. Even though those Pretty are, like, most, you know, yeah. people tell you those are the best-selling scouts, but you've decided to go against that.
1: Yeah, you know, I think that, that brands like ours... Um, You know, not only do we want to bring something different to the table in terms of the branding and the marketing and and all of those things and the flavor profiles, but I I also think that we kind of, you know, I feel a little bit obligated to try to kind of open people's eyes also to a lot of these other Vitolas that are out there that, you know, really, uh, in my opinion, and I think honestly, in a lot of cigar makers' opinions, even cigar makers that do make more generic Vitolas, these are really the sizes that we smoke. Right. You know what I mean? And so um, yeah, if you haven't had a Corona Gorda or a Lonsdale or, you know, something in that range, I mean, I feel like as a as a smoker, you're you're missing out, you know. So I really want to bring those more interesting, unique sizes yeah. to the table and, and really get people to try them. And and honestly, sometimes it's really difficult. You know, I mean the the killer bee is huge for us, but I can't tell you how many events I've been at where people just literally refuse to try it because it's a petite Corona. Right. Right. You know, they, they just, they think it's too small. Uh, so, um, you know, we do our best and, you know, I, I can honestly say that, you know, before we brought porcelain on killer Bee was our, our number one selling cigar. And I, I, there's probably not a lot of companies in the market. that can say their number one selling skew is a petite Corona. Seller. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, I was pretty proud of that, but Oh, no, that's
0: a great job by that too. And, yeah. and, you know, I, I, I could tell you um, from, from following your brand over the years, um, so you have gotten me into some of these other sizes, uh, particularly um, that Corona Gorda size, um, you know, in that I really, um, probably you and Espinoza have really kind of done that 46, 48 ring gauges really well. And I've gotten into that because of you, both of you. um, And then, you know, even some of the things, like I remember the, 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 Please, I hope I don't score. The those Yeah,
1: the The Salomon, The, the Stumnos, yeah. yeah. Those short
0: yeah. Salomones. I just, I'm like, wow, here's a Salomon size that I can really, really enjoy. And um, I'm like, you know, so I, you kind of open my eyes as as someone who's like, yeah, I could, these are really, really excellent sizes that you can uh, enjoy.
1: Yeah, and I mean, you know, it's, like I said, for for us, it's all about, you know, every aspect of what we do, we want to keep it interesting and we want to keep it, you know, fresh and we want to try to do something new and unique, um, you know, as much as you can in an industry that's, you know, been around this long with this many people in it. But I think, you know, we've kind of found the opportunities here and there and Vitola size is definitely one of them where we want to kind of stand out and, and really make the cigars, you know, in the, in the Vitolas that they work best in. And that's the thing for me is, you know, not everything works in a toro not everything works in a you know a 660 so mm-hmm. we we really want to make sure that you know we're focused on that particular blend that particular cigar and what we feel mm-hmm. it smokes the best in.
0: yeah no i uh, i i applaud you for it i think that's a great uh and you haven't you haven't really compromised on that um for as long as i've been following you so i mean uh, good good for you and i think the products have, have shown for itself um you know, uh, so that's great. Do you, you know the the Oveja Negro name? It means black sheep. Do you yeah. still consider yourself the black sheep right now? I mean, because you've accomplished so much over, over the over time. Yeah, do you,
1: you think you're still the black sheep or no more? I mean, you know, uh, I would say that we're not the little brand, right? You know, that we used to be, which is which is great, you know. But I do still think, you know, kind of going over what you know all the stuff we've just discussed that. Yeah, I mean, I I do think that we still try to keep that one foot out of the the box, you right, know, right. and and really keep kind of keep true to our roots of of where we started and what we wanted to do. And um, I think anybody that's been to our factory in Nicaragua and has seen other factories would definitely say that we are very very different um, in what we do and just the overall feel and appearance and. And so, yeah, I think the name, you know, the Black Sheep for the factory is definitely still very appropriate. And, um, you know, we're we're just continually striving to kind of change things up and, and keep it interesting and unique and different. So
0: nice. Nice. Good for you. Well, you, like I said, you've been doing this for a long time. And I know when we were talking uh, down in Nicaragua, um, big year for a black label trading company. Yeah. The brand is celebrating 10 years. so first of all, congratulations. That's, that's a tremendous accomplishment there.
1: Thank you. Thank you. Yeah.
0: Um, did you ever think like, cause when you started doing this 10 years ago, you were working. I remember when you started the brand, you were still working with another factory at the time. So you didn't have the factory. Yeah. Um, and you've built now several brands off, off of what you're doing. You have a factory. Um, so, I mean, I guess it, is it, is it what you expected, you know, for the 10 years?
1: Um, you know, honestly, back then, I didn't know what to expect, and it was just kind of like every day, we just kind of take it as it comes and see what happens, and um, you know, but yeah, it's it's crazy to me that it's been 10 years. It doesn't feel like it, um, but you know, looking back, I, th- I think that I, I am very proud and, and humbled on what we've accomplished in the amount of support that we've had from you know, the industry and our, our consumers and our retailers, um, you know, that's just been incredible to see. And, and for me, that's the awesome thing is to see how many people have really embraced what we're, what we're doing and what we're about. And, um, you know, kind of getting that, that kind of, that, that black sheep, black label message across um, I'm very happy that we were able to accomplish that and and have people really, get behind the brand and, um, and be able to enjoy it. And, and, you know, doing that for 10 years has been, you know, very fulfilling for me and, and everybody involved in what we do and um, to see the factory grow and, 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 you know, bring on, uh, you know, Emilio and then doing Dissident now and uh, the Blackwork studios when that first came out. So being able to, to do that and, 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 Keep expanding and and keep growing. It has been awesome. So, I'm um, looking forward to the next ten.
0: And when you know when you came into this, you know you were you were in another industry at the time, right? You 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 came into this from. Was it like something like travel or something?
1: It was, yeah, yeah, so yeah, okay. yeah. I I had zero. Experience in the cigar industry whatsoever outside of smoking cigars. So yeah, I mean it's uh, it's it definitely came into it from the opposite side of most people. You know, most people that start brands are you know involved with cigars some way in the states, whether it be retailer, you know, sales rep, whatever it is. Um, and yeah, for me, it all started in Nicaragua on the on the manufacturing side, and so um it was a very different experience and i think that it's one of those scenarios where ignorance is bliss and you know not having that experience in the industry i think was really helpful because we were able to kind of do things the way that we wanted to do it without any outside influence and and yeah you know just kind of go for it and trust our gut and you know thankfully it paid off yeah
0: i mean um you went full blown into this and you know an, another thing that i think you don't get the credit for sometimes uh i think you do get a lot of the credit for you know obviously the blends people notice but it's the artwork on all these brands this is all you this is all yeah. you and, and it's really some unique artwork in different styles uh with the, especially with the three brands that we talk about um is art something that you've always enjoyed
1: yeah Absolutely. I mean, I've I've been doing art since you know I was eight years old. I was in art programs and things like that. I went to art school, um, and actually worked full time as an artist for uh, a couple years or a few years. in when we lived in Mexico and Guatemala, um, and so yeah, it was. It's very important to me. I think it's a huge part of of not only what we do, but uh, of cigars in general, you know, I mean, I think that the the important thing is for any cigar to kind of tell its own story. yeah, and I think the first way that it does that is is through the branding, through the artwork. And you know, it's this is a very traditional industry. Um, and when I was first coming into it, you know, I was just I didn't really understand why there wasn't. Kind of that different vibe out there, why there wasn't something, you know that for me personally appealed to me as a consumer. Um, and so, yeah, I, I definitely wanted to go way outside of what was going on in the industry ten years ago as far as branding went and and do something unique and different. And it was also very important for me to, you know, when we started black label specifically, um to create it is more of like a a lifestyle brand more so than a cigar brand you know i yeah. mean i wanted people to to relate to the artwork to for it to evoke a feeling and and really people that's how they get behind it you know and then when the cigar is good then they kind of find their their thing right. um, but it's it's like the whole package you know i think it has to be the whole package for it to work um And it's it's one of those things where I think, you know, we've been very successful because, you know, the our work and the cigars are definitely an extension of myself. Yeah, it's authentic. You know, it's authentic. And I think you have to be authentic uh, for it to really uh, uh, translate to people. And I think that they they get behind it because they feel that authenticity. Yeah, I I could tell you from the three brands, you know, that you.
0: Emilio Blackworks and Black Yeah, I I see pieces of you in each of them. So and then it comes out yeah. in the artwork for sure. So there's no doubt about that. Is there like a favorite piece of artwork you've had that you've done for one of the lines? Um that's
1: tough. Uh I would say for uh I'll just go for both of them, I would say for black label, I really like uh, what well, what I did with Bishop's Blend Yeah. Um, for a couple different reasons. I, I like the artwork itself, but, you know, back in 2016, when we launched that cigar, that was kind of our first, you know, venture out of the black and white uh, yeah. motif. And so mm-hmm. I think that uh, going red with the Bishop was a huge impact and it really kind of, showcase the product as being, you know, very unique and different uh, for Black Label. So that definitely is one of my favorites. And then I think for Black Works, um, probably the Lizard King is one of my favorites. Yeah, Yeah.
0: I like that one. Yeah. The color, the use of the color was really cool in that.
1: Yeah, thank you. Yep.
0: And then, you know, I like, you know, Emilio was kind of, I think, this is how I looked at it. Emilio, I think, was your biggest challenge. That's the one I looked at because you ha- there was this brand that was out there for a while, and you had to figure a way to fit it into the Obeja Nava framework. Um, so yeah. what, what yeah. went into that when you did that?
1: Well, yeah. I mean, like you said, it was tough because, yeah, Emilio's been around forever, right? Yep. And I would say that, you know, in terms of branding, in terms of names, in terms of all of that, um It was very traditional from the get-go. And when we took over that aspect of Emilio,
2: it was still during
1: the time where it was kind of the, you know, the FDA was looming with this idea that you weren't going to be able to change anything uh, in terms of sizes and cigar names. And, you know, if it was in the market by this day, then you have to keep it the same and all these things. And so when we took it over, it was even more, difficult because we really had to stay somewhat within that framework um you know with names like af1 af2 right, right. suave um so yeah it, it took a lot of time and and kind of kind of breaking everything down and kind of rebuilding it back up and figuring out like you know how do we make this cooler how do we give it a vibe that, that makes sense and and most of all a vibe that's kind of cohesive uh, within itself, uh which I think is really important you know for any brand so um yeah it was it was a tough challenge, and I think that we were getting there and and we're still working on some some new stuff for Emilio, but I think it's definitely coming around, and people are becoming more you know responsive to it and and really figuring out like yeah, not only does it look cool, but the scars are really good too and and so it's it's starting to build, which is nice to see
0: nice. Um. Want to welcome Aaron? Aaron. Uh, so so you came on. So thank you for being
3: late, guys. No, no, you,
0: you had, you had, you had a deal. You had to do it. Um, it's all good. It's all good. So, uh, what's up, man?
3: How much? How you doing?
0: Good. Good to see you again. Same here. So, so James, back with Emilio for a second. Um, the the theme of Amelia, you kind of took this music theme, right? But you kind of did it very like music themes have been done in cigars before, but you Record. took like this very different approach to it. Um, Almost like instead of like, it was more, almost like the things around the music, if that makes sense, like the records, the boom boxes, it's, it's kind of a different vibe you brought to bringing that music feel into that. Is, is that accurate? Yeah,
1: I would say so, for sure. I mean, I think that, you know, it's kind of like with anything, right? Like, I think a good example, like for Black Label is like, okay, we start messing around with Skulls and whatever, there's this fine line between cool, elegant, or cheesy. And I think it's kind of the same thing with dealing with Emilio with the whole music thing, you know? And, and we wanted it, I wanted it to be, kind of funky and cool and yeah like you said like it's not about the actual music like you know cavatina we have the headphones right right that's how it's going but like so you know even with suave it's like it's a lowrider but you know you kind of can feel the the musical vibe that's associated with that so yeah Yeah. it's more about like the the lifestyle around it than it is you know the actual music is that
0: something you you're into personally like outside of the cigar industry that's a, that maybe it's something we don't know about your personality. That these are things you're kind of into, or is it just a theme that maybe you just thought would be a cool idea for a cigar?
1: No, I mean, everything is kind of definitely a piece of me, a piece of my past, you know, um, and it's kind of this interesting mix, you know, I, I love kind of that whole black label side of things, which is more kind of the dark, the Gothic. Right. Right. Um, And, you know, but I'm also uh, hugely into, you know, urban culture, you know, streetwear, you know, the musical side of things. So, yeah, it's all different elements uh, of me. You know, when I was a a teenager, my first car was actually a lowrider. So, um, you know, all these different elements I try to bring out um, because it's what I know and it's what makes sense to me. And that's that's what makes it easier for me to. To develop it,
0: makes sense. Yep, makes sense as well. Makes sense as well. Um, so there's been um a bunch of projects that you've had over the last few months, but um I want to start with this one. The the Rorschach, that's one that's been getting a little more attention over the past um like I'd say year or so. Yeah. For folks who may not be familiar with the Rorschach, talk about what's a little different about that project, maybe compared to some of the other um, things you've done so far.
1: Yeah, I mean, the Rorschach's super unique because it's, it, I mean, the name stems from kind of the idea behind the cigar, which is we use um, the off-cut tobacco from the Blackwork Studio Productions uh, to create it. Um, so it's not an actual specific blend, Um, which means that literally every batch of Rorschachs is going to be a little bit different in terms of flavor, strength, and profile. Um, hence the name, you know, it's kind of like everybody looks at a Rorschach test and sees something a little bit different. So, um, but yeah, so that's, you know, it started as kind of this kind of fun, cool project and, and Rorschach was actually around for a long time before we released it because we were making it to just kind of smoke around the factory. Um, because, you know, as you know, with manufacturing, you end up with a lot of offcut tobacco that you need to find something yeah. to do with. So, right. um, we started making them and I just loved that little petite Panatella size. I would smoke those around the factory all the time. Um, and we just really loved it and decided, you know what, this, this kind of makes sense for, for putting it out there is, You know, something cool and inexpensive and, um, you know, it's a really cool addition to the Blackworks line. And so it it kind of was out. People love the size. They love the ability to just, you know, have a little 20-minute smoke. And we decided to launch a, uh, like, a short Robusto size, I guess, a little over a year ago. Um, And that really took off uh, even more so than the Petite Panatella. And so, yeah, it's a line that's just been kind of growing and growing, and, and retailers and consumers both have really latched onto it and, and enjoyed it. And now we just launched the the newest version, which is going to be the the Sumatra version of the Robusto. And so it's a little bit of a tweak uh, in regards to the the tobacco that we're using. So it's going to be a, a little bit lighter than the standard Rorschachs, uh, but still in that. That concept that each batch is is unique and a little bit different
0: but there's like a common dna in terms of the wrapper right They the wrapper the, the exactly. is kind of um okay so that's so it's a it's a it's so it's a it's definitely um you wouldn't call it your seconds right it's not really a seconds project it's more of um you know more of an unpredictability type of thing in terms yeah. of
1: yeah yeah i mean it's it's definitely they're definitely not seconds i mean they're all manufactured to be exactly what they're supposed to be right um but like you said you know the regular rorschachs are all uh, ecuadorian Habano wrapper, and the new uh sumatra re- release is all a uh, uh, sumatra yeah. and these are ongoing releases right so these are
0: not like uh like your limiteds these are more ongoing production yes they are because yeah. they had a rorschach i've seen them around for a while that's why i was i was asked that i didn't yeah and that was one of the original Black Works lines that that goes back to the beginning of Black Works
1: Studio. Yeah, it does. Yeah. So,
0: so yeah, it was kind of like I think it was when it came out. It,
1: it what was it? MBK and Killer B were the other two that came out. Right, MBK, Killer B, and the Rorschach were kind of the the first ones out, um, and then they were the followed up by the Green Hornet. Um, yeah, and then just kind of. Then the limited started, and then the line started to grow from there.
0: Nice, nice. Um, you were mentioning earlier on about um, you know, when you when the FDA hit, um, you kind of wondered what that was going to do for your creativity and what you're going to be able to create new new brands. But you you have found a way to get some new brands into the market, and um. I have a couple I wanted to ask about that we we haven't really talked about much since you've been on the show last. Um, the first one I want to talk about is Intergalactic. Yeah. Um, talk about that brand a bit um, because that one um, that was a Black Works one, and I, I think it was. I thought it was really different, just in terms of not only the branding but in terms of the cigar itself. I thought it was just a different direction you went in with that.
1: Yeah, I, I think it definitely is, and you know that that was a cigar to me that um, I really liked Um, and it was kind of one where I was you know, I didn't really know how people were going to respond to it, you know, because up until that point, you know, outside of the NBA, Blackworks had been more about, you know, like the bees and hornets and Maduros and kind of that dark feel um, and flavor profile, but you know, I I wanted to do something different and and interesting and, and I really liked the uniqueness of the intergalactic, um, and I think it was one where when it came out, people people didn't really know what to expect from it, um, you know. And it, it, and I think it, it turned out that people really fell in love with it. Like I've heard, I hear from people all the time how much they love that cigar and how different it was. Um, but you know, for me as a cigar maker, that's that's kind of where I'm at in terms of you know what I what I'm striving for um, every day is to find that next cigar that's, you know, that is unique. That's not the same thing that's been done before or in the same profile that we've already done before. So, um, you know, I think the new S and R definitely fits into that category as well. Um, so it's just that the, I think we're in the stage where we started out bigger, bolder is better and that gets people's attention. And now we're to the point where it's more like okay, but this is what else we can do. You know what I mean? It it, it doesn't have to be that that profile. Like we can also do you know very complex, uh, medium-bodied cigars that are just as good. You know, and so we're we're really just I, I myself as a cigar maker, I try to just show different aspects of of what I could do and what the factory can do.
0: Yeah, and that was kind of where I was going intergalactic. It was definitely a, a I don't want to say it was a mild cigar, but it was definitely a more dial back cigar compared to some of the other things I've had from you. Yeah. Um. And then there was a like the other thing I just noticed on that thing is there was a lot of color on that band too, uh, which I just thought was cool. The, the kind of the blue accents yeah. you put on that were real. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, but um, but no, that was that was cool as well. And then the other cigar, which I don't think we've talked about since you've been on the show, but uh, it's actually a um probably a staple in the um developing palette's history because what got number one it was the hyena. Yeah. So talk about working with Cameron Rapper a bit. Uh first of all. Like what? Um you we hear Cameron rapper it's hard to get. We hear Cameron Rapper is sometimes not the easiest thing to blend with, but you have kind of worked with this Cameron rapper um, uh, you know, for several releases, not not just um the hyena.
1: Yeah, no, I mean, everything you hear about Cameroon is true. I mean, it's, it's, you know, unfortunately, it's one of the few tobaccos that can be grown in Ecuador. From a manufacturing standpoint, the Ecuadorian leaf is far superior in terms of size, quality, um, ease to work with. But from the flavor standpoint, there's zero comparison to real African Cameroon. The trade-off there is real African Cameroon is a very small leaf. Uh, In terms of quality, there's a lot of issues, uh, cosmetic problems, breaks, tears, holes, things like that. Um, So it's very expensive and you get a very low yield uh, out of it. Um, But nothing in the world tastes like it. Um, And so, you know, we had kind of held off working with Cameroon because we were not really able to get... Um, you know, the quality Cameroon that we wanted to work with um, and so when the time came when that did come available and we were able to to work with it, you know, I wanted to to do a couple projects with it, you know, and then we did the swarm for the yep. killer bee line, um, and then we we did the hyena as well and um, you know, for me, both of those cigars are very much blended to highlight the attributes of, of Cameroon rapper, you know, the, the Cameroon is really the star of the show there. And, and you get that unique profile um, that you can only get from, from good African Cameroon. And that was kind of the, the focus there.
0: What was the inspiration of the hyena name? I'm just kind of curious. I know what a hyena is, but kind of how did, what was the inspiration for that and kind of putting it in with um black, black work studio?
1: Um, you know, the, one of the coolest things for me with working uh, with Cameroon was, you know, to be able to work with something from Africa since, you know, I lived there for or my wife and I lived there for almost six years. My son was born there. Um, so it was cool. I wanted to be able to kind of tie in that aspect um, of our life uh, mm-hmm. into a cigar. so. Uh, that's kind of where we decided to go with the the hyena motif, which to me, it's like, if you think of a hyena, definitely says Africa. Um, and it it was just, you know, branding wise, I thought it was a really cool animal to kind of represent it. And I think that the, the cigar as well is kind of, you know, I I like that kind of gritty raw aspect that it had to it. Um, and so, yeah, I think that just kind of is, is what, came into my head uh with the blend was the, the hyena made sense. Yeah I knew it was more than just the
0: uh the creature. I knew it was or the yeah. African creature. I knew was, I remembered yeah. there was something I just didn't remember what it was. That's why I wanted to ask that.
1: But yeah that was a that was an interesting release for us because I I don't know what it was. I don't know if it was the name. I don't know if it was the fact that it was Cameroon. I don't know what it was, but man, it was just huge for us i mean retailers were selling out of hyena before they could even like get the shipments in and on the shelf and i mean the demand for it was just insane so it was that was really cool to see uh people to get so excited about a cigar that you know they hadn't even smoked or didn't even know anybody that smoked it you know so that was that was really cool no that's cool you know the artwork again i gotta go with that it had like the creature and then there's
0: like this spray paint on the creature it looked like. And then there's like this, hello, Nate, hello, my name is badge. What was that all about? <laughs> on
1: Well, you know, when I was a, when I was a teenager, I, was, me and my friends were all, you know, pretty big into graffiti art and, and things like that. And, um, kind of an easy way to, uh, you know, put your tags on things when you didn't have paint or whatever is we would use those, Hello, my name is stickers. Right, right. And you could go through and you would write, you know, tag whatever you want on a hundred of them and just carry them around in your pocket. And You know, you could just stick them on whatever <laughs> you want to stick them on. So that's kind of where that came from.
0: No, it's cool. I, I, I always look for those little things on um, like the banding and the packaging and, and that will not always strike. So I got to ask him at some, I always forgot yeah. to ask you about it. So I just remembered tonight as I, yeah. I had it in my notes. So that's good. So that's good. So, um, so no, definitely, uh, um, he really uh like I said, really good cigar. and um, and then you of course mentioned you did redo s and r for just recently, so that's just come out. um yes. so now that has been that's now a barber pole that is it is, yeah, yeah, yeah,
1: yeah, I yeah, know uh, you smoked it, uh, yeah, it was very good we for the dinner yeah, um so yeah, it had been a couple of years since we did s and r, and this is our uh our third. Uh, rendition of it So I wanted to change it up And, and do something different with right. it and, and kind of make it a little more unique So um, instead of a regular Sumatra We went with a very dark Sumatra um, And we also mixed it in With a, uh, a Connecticut uh, Ecuadorian Connecticut shade swirl on it um, Tweaked the blend a little bit So uh, it's it's definitely a different cigar Than, than probably the last SNR anybody smoked
2: Yep, yep.
0: Uh, it's uh, it was it was it was yeah. It was definitely different. Very very good cigar too. Um, I really enjoyed that. Um, we were talking about Nicaragua. Um, just now. Um, you've got the factory visits going again.
1: Yeah, we just finished uh, about a week ago. We just finished our last tour for the year, so we ended up doing. Uh, what do we do? Three or four this year? Yeah. So yeah, it's great to have you know travel. Um, most of all, back to normal for Nicaragua. You know, the airport was closed for almost three years, outside of just one one flight a couple times a week. So yeah, um, yeah, we we decided that once once the airport got open and flights were more regular, that we really wanted to get the tours going again. And uh, you know, we had some great groups lined up for this year, and it was nice to. Nice to have people back, you know, not only at the factory, but to be able to, to see Nicaragua and spend time here. So, yeah, it was good. Nice. And um, if folks – like, I've
0: gotten asked this a few times. If folks want to go on uh, an Oveja Negra factory tour, how, how do they go about doing that?
1: Uh, we have all the information on our website. Okay. Um, and so the best thing to do is just go through the website, kind of read the details. Um, and if they have, you know, more questions, there's a email, uh, on there as well. They can email us. Um, like I said, we, we do three, maybe four a year, depending. Um, they're only through January to March, which is based around the, the tobacco growing season. Uh, that way, you know, people can go out and see plants in the field and and tobacco in the barns and, and all that stuff. So, um that's kind of the timeline that we do it in okay Uh, groups it depends sometimes groups are random uh, people that come together sometimes people put together their own group sometimes they're based around a retailer so um it all just depends and you know but we're we're very accommodating and try to make it work for for people that really want to come down here because for me i love you know I love it here. I love what we do. I love the country and for consumers and retailers alike to be able to see that I think is a really eye-opening uh, experience for any cigar lover.
0: Yeah. No, I mean I, I this was my first time back in Nicaragua in 3 years and uh, you know there is something about that country, you know, you, you just you do you, you can't help but there's a lot of positives about like in the people there. It's just a really uh it, it, I I hear exactly what you're saying. Yeah. Um and if you're going into Estley, what I like is your factory is like right at the beginning of the entrance to Estley coming in from the south. So you can yeah. easily see your factory um on the Pan American Highway there.
2: Yeah.
0: Yeah. All right. Aaron, before we get to some of the other fun questions for James, you have anything else you you wanted to hit?
3: No, I don't think so. I mean, I'm not sure you covered before I got here, but uh, I, don't wanna...
0: I think I covered uh, yeah, we covered All most right. of it. Yeah, in good. A, some of it in a little bit of front so yeah. Perfect. So that's good. All right. So James, um Couple of things. Um, we have a couple of uh, things we'll do. This is um, this is um, our tobacco, our USA. Um, we call this a uh, tobacco USA ties that bind segment. Now, what the ties that bind are is is a question I'm going to ask you. And what I'm going to say to you is uh, I'm going to name to you three things, and you got to tell me what they all have in common. Kind of what binds them together. Um. Now, I I've been making these really hard. I so I have tried to make these easier. Okay. Um, but we'll see what happens because sometimes they're not as easy. I, um, they're not as, they're not as, um, I may think they're easy, but they're not. So here's what I'm gonna do I'm gonna name you three things and then I'll give you three chances to guess what they have in common. Are, are you ready? All right. All yeah. right. I think this one's an easy one. I'm gonna give you. So let me say, all right. The first thing is a fiscal year, the second thing is an NFL game. And the third thing is $1 in U.S. currency.
1: Hmm. Yeah, uh, you can go ahead and count all three
3: out. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Aaron, do you want to take a guess at it? I, I think I know it. Okay. I think I know it. Um, it's all things that can be broken down into quarters, correct? Correct. That's right. the answer. Yep. Yeah. So
0: all it's things that can be good. broken
3: into quarters. So, like I
0: said, sometimes I think Makes they're sense. easy. Yeah and, yeah, yeah, and when you're on the other end of this, it it, it is different. Yeah. But so, so no, no problem at all. Uh, so all good, all good. Yes. Yeah, so that was our ties that binds. Uh, Aaron, you get that one. Aaron's been pretty good at these. He, I don't tell Aaron the answer to these. And um, he usually gets it like one way or another, so
1: yeah. I think, I think once you say football, my brain kind of turns <laughs> off because right. I don't follow any sports at all. Like, yeah,
0: <laughs> I thought the fiscal year one would throw you off. I'm like, James ain't like a guy who's like dealing with spreadsheets, yeah, no, right? <laughs> so, <laughs> <laughs> I think that yeah. one may be the one that throws him off a little, yeah. <laughs> so, he's like, uh, okay. Oh, good. All right, so James, this one is an easier question because this is our cattle baron steak question of the night, and um, I assume you like hamburgers. Sure. What is? Give me your ultimate hamburger.
1: Like, like what I would want on it, or like where where do I like to eat a hamburger? Um, If you you were
3: making, if you were having one made for you, what would you request on it?
1: Okay, Uh, I'm pretty basic, man. I think like I'm old school cheeseburger um definitely bacon maybe mm-hmm. you know i don't do lettuce tomato uh maybe pickles mustard i think that's
3: uh, that's yeah okay that's probably the most basic one we've heard i think so far yeah, yeah. a lot of people still yeah, like want a, tomato and lettuce but yeah yeah have, and I'm, i don't know i'm not a i'm not
1: a caramelized onion guy or any of right. that stuff like i when it comes to hamburgers i like basic yeah. right
0: yeah yeah someone i don't see as an avocado guy on a hamburger <laughs> so, <laughs> no, i don't uh,
1: i don't do avocados yeah
0: no no, no definitely not yeah not
1: only for the taste but just on principle
0: yeah <laughs> <laughs> there you go good man good man uh no, it, it's it's uh, like I said, a lot of people tend to go basic with the hamburger question. We've noticed there was only one person, and it was like last week, he got exotic with it. But otherwise, uh, yeah. uh, but most people tend to keep it simple. So, but that was the most basic we got. So, um, good job, James, on that. Yeah. All right. So, I got to do one more commercial reads and then we'll do the sneaker segment we talk about. Yeah. All right. And, all right. So, I'll um, tell you, let's see if my voice holds out, Aaron. So I'm, I'm battling a head cold here. <laughs> yeah. So, all right. Taylor Smoke, located in the heart of downtown Charlotte's epicenter, and now the outside the Charlotte Motor Speedway in Concord, North Carolina, Taylor Smoke is your one-stop shop for a Taylor Smoking experience. And I will mention Jerry Tobacco. Uh, with over 50 years experience in the tobacco business, from growing and curing tobacco to cigar production, the Jerry Tobacco farmers has been able to continue to deliver products using that authentic Corolla Leaf. Now with Jerry Tobacco, who and still bring their very own brand to market, each containing the authentic Coral Leaf. Aladino is available in a wide variety of blends, including the latest release, the Aladino, Aladino Candela. And each of those Aladino cigars represent the golden age of cigars from 1947 to 1961. one. They're available local retailer. be sure to ask for Jerry Tobacco, a legacy that is tasted in every draw. And we well I mention Corona Cigar Company. At Corona Cigar Company, they take fact that they are cigar fanatics just like you. That's why you'll find the best selection of the rarest and finest premium cigars available anywhere in the world. Plus, they have special limited edition cigars available exclusively to Corona Cigar Company from famous international cigar makers such as Drew Estate, Aganorse, Oliva, and more. They have the best selection, best customer service, and money-saving discount cigar prices. But don't just take their word for it. Forbes Magazine selected Corona Cigar Company as best of the web. Corona Cigar was voted a top five internet cigar retailer by Smoke Magazine. And Cigar Fishing know wrote, Corona Cigar Company, the largest, best stock cigar shops in America. Place an order online at the Corona Cigar Company website or visit one of Corona's four Central Florida cigar superstores and cigar bars and see for yourself why Corona Cigar Company is the ultimate cigar experience. And I want to mention again, Cavalier Geneva. Cavalier Cigars, Cavalier Cigars, smoke gold, stay gold. Join the inner circle and follow Cavalier Cigars on Instagram at Cavalier underscore Cigars and on Facebook at Cavalier Geneve Cigars. That's Geneve, G-E-N-E-V-E. Visit your local tobacconist and join the movement that is Cavalier Cigars, consistently regarded highly by cigar lovers everywhere, as well as high ratings by the cigar industry press. You want to follow them on Instagram at Cavalier underscore Cigars because they do some very unique giveaways throughout the whole year, so you want to get on there. That's Cavalier Cigars, Smoke Gold, and Stay Gold. And finally, we're going to get into our Alec Bradley Live True segment sponsored by Alec Bradley. Alec Bradley, Alec Bradley, Alec Bradley, Alec Bradley. Visit alecbradley.com to find out more about their cigars. Live True. So, James, this is our topic where we kind of get away from the hardcore cigar talk. And one thing I've, I've learned from you, and I think you've actually done like some shows from like your sneaker room, Right. You're a big yeah. sneaker fan.
1: You could say that for sure. Okay. <laughs> yes. <laughs>
0: what got you into sneakers? Like what in the world would get you into like You have sneakers like, like I see women have shoes. I mean, so it's, it's a, you have a lot from what I've seen in that picture. I have a lot.
1: Yeah. 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 So th- yeah no. Um, you know, I don't know. It's something from when I was a kid, I guess, you know, I mean, I guess I grew up kind of, you know, in that, that, that first era of, you know, sneakers really being cool. Right. Like, you know, it was the, you know, the mid eighties, early nineties with, you know, Michael Jordan and that whole uh, uh, thing coming out for the first time, like really having like a, a a basketball player behind a pair of shoes that was uh, really cool and unique and interesting. And so I, I just, I grew up with that and, and, Sneakers were always kind of a part of my life as a as a kid and and as a teenager, and I think it just kind of transitioned into uh to adulthood and you know I don't know it's just kind of my thing like it's definitely part nostalgia, part collectible you know it's it's just kind of my my big thing outside of cigars, sneakers is right up there. So, Aaron, I'm gonna, I have a
0: couple of points here, but I want to jump ahead to this point. All
2: right,
0: there is a whole, and I guess I just really learned this, okay? Because I'm not a, into sneakers, but there's this whole talking to my son. There's this whole notion of these limited edition sneakers, kind of like limited edition cigars. Like, so are these things that you chase down?
1: Yeah, I mean, and I think you know, it's it's interesting the way sneakers have kind of grown and impacted society right now is so different Um, and, and it kind of insane how much it is. Like, you know, literally there are shoes that you just cannot buy for retail, you know, like there's this whole world of secondary market that exists that is, you know, fueled by the, the limited availability of everything. And, and so it's, it's very strange. You know certain shoes, if you just wanted to go buy it online or to store, like it's just it can't happen. Like you're gonna have to pay secondary value for it, no matter what. Um, so, yeah, it's a very interesting it's an interesting thing. Like there's you know there's websites and apps that exist that are basically like like stock trading, except it's sneakers. You know? So,
0: are there like, Brick and mortar exclusives and online exclusives
1: of these sneakers? Um, not really exclusives as much as like collaborations between, you know, companies like Nike and Adidas with, you know, famous musicians, athletes, things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so they're they're more of like a a limited edition uh type collab than they are like a, a, a store exclusive or things like that. There are those as well. They do exist, but yeah So uh,
0: I found this really interesting when when I was learning about this piece a bit so when you when you chase down the sneakers, right? I, I know this is gonna be a really dumb question, but I'm gonna ask it do, do, are you more concerned about getting the sneaker or wearing the sneaker?
1: Um it depends mostly getting so like. Right. I do wear a lot of my stuff, right? Um, even really high end, very rare things. Um, I do tend to wear them because I want to enjoy them. Um, but there are a lot of people that just never—I mean, they never come out of the box. It's just about yeah. owning it, you know. No, I mean,
0: I and then here's where I was going. at like, so when you when you buy the sneaker, do you always try to buy? It? You, you always try to buy it via size, right? Yes. Like, But is there a sneaker that you've said, I'm going to get this sneaker, but damn, they don't have my size. So, but I want to have it in my collection. Have you ever kind of done with that?
1: No, no. It's for me, if I can't wear it, like. (laughs) Okay, good for you. I let it go. Yeah. (laughs) But but see what I do is like, if it's something that I know I want to wear, then I'm I'm buying at least two pairs. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, Okay. Right.
0: Right. 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 (laughs) right, right. So uh, I I was amazed. Um, And then how do you. Is this kind of like I guess is it social media chasing and how do you kind of find out about these things, these limits?
1: Yeah, I mean it's a whole world that exists out there, you know, through social media things like that. Right. Um, but yeah, it's 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 a big, it's a huge industry um, right now, which is to me kind of the interesting part. It's like how this, you know something as simple as a shoe has become so sought after and collectible right. that it's fueled this entire industry of, you know, huge companies just buying and selling and trading shoes. It's, it's, it's insane.
0: No, interesting. Now, now, if I ask you how many sneakers you have, can you tell me approximately? Um,
1: I haven't really counted recently. If I had to guess, like maybe like, 300 pairs wow but you know it's like it's literally grows by the month so there's probably there is no given time that there's not something i'm getting or after or whatever so
3: so do you trade do you trade it all or once you get it it's just in the collection or do you ever purge any the collection for any reason
1: it depends, I mean, there are certain things, like I never buy something just for the idea of reselling it, mm-hmm. like I only buy stuff that I like, yeah, um, but if I have like two or three pairs of something and I know I'm not gonna you know ever wear more than one pair or whatever, or I don't like it as much as I thought I was gonna like it, or, yeah. and yeah, I mean, I'll trade it or sell it, okay. But it's not like like a lot of people. I mean, that's their business. Right. You know, that's, yeah. that's actually what they do for a living is just buying and selling sneakers. But, but yeah, no, for me, yeah, it's like you're more of a
3: collector. You, you just want yeah. in your collection what you want. And right. if you don't exactly. want it anymore, you'll just, you know, trade it out or something to pick up something else that you do want. Right. Exactly.
0: Okay. Nice. Yeah. Nice. So talk about some of the, like, what are some of the really cool sneakers you have in your collection? Like things that maybe would be, I don't know, interest, you know, maybe to me, you know,
1: um i'll just focus on things that you might know about uh but i have a lot of kind of unique um are you there
3: yeah he's ready he to switch to off camera
1: okay. okay i have a lot of uh, kind of older uh, unique jordans um and that's more so because like i remember as a kid you know when the jordan 3 came out when the jordan 4 came out the jordan 5 so um, I have kind of all those classics, you know, that I remember having as a kid. Um, and so I really love those, um, and I'm a huge Jordan four fan. So I have a lot of the, the cooler earlier, you know, early two thousands, Jordan fours, things like that. So, um, yeah, it's, it's kind of a diverse mix. Uh, There's shoes called, uh, SB dunks, and that's probably what I have the most of. That's kind of my favorite thing um but yeah with some of the stuff it's kind of a a bittersweet thing because you know a lot of sneakers especially some of the jordans don't last forever yeah um you know and the soles start to break down the glue starts to break down so uh you know you really have to take care of them and you know if you're into older vintage sneakers like Mm -hmm. i am then it's kind of a whole process of you know trying to keep them intact and Mm -hmm. And yeah. the, inter- the interesting thing with that is, um, you know, talking about wearing them, the stuff like that is they actually will last longer the more that you wear them. Um, they they won't kind of fall apart uh, as bad. So, uh, but yeah, it's, for me, I really, I love a lot of the new stuff that comes out I buy, but I also really like hunting down like older vintage pairs.
0: Yeah, I, I go back a little further than you. I, I actually remember the Clyde Frazier, the Pumas. Yeah. I, yeah, that was, I I wanted those as a kid. It would have, uh, Puma had the black and white and it was the Clyde Frazier one. So uh, I, that was before Air Jordan. Uh, so.
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, I have like, I have like 1984, uh, you know, Converse weapons. Yeah. You know, it's like, That was like the huge basketball shoe before Nike came around and all that. So, but yeah, I just, I find it really cool to find something like a sneaker that's obviously made to wear. People, you know, 20 years ago didn't think these were going to be worth anything. So, to like go and find something, you know, like from the the 90s or the early 2000s, it's still, Sure. you know, pristine or in great condition that nobody destroyed. Uh, I, I think that's really cool. Very nice. Very
0: nice. Have you, have you ever considered designing your own sneaker or have you maybe?
1: Um, I haven't, no, but I, I do think it would be cool. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that if I wasn't doing what I'm doing now with cigars, I would definitely be involved in, that industry in some way right sneakers sneakers, streetwear like that's kind of where my passion is
0: yeah and i ask you because we were when we were talking about the art you do earlier i could somehow seeing that you know overflowing into you know it's just an extension of that so that's why i was wondering about that
1: yeah i definitely um i definitely love that and would be very cool to to do something in that category, I think.
0: Nice. Nice. Now I'll ask the flip side. Have you ever thought about a cigar with a sneaker theme? Maybe as something that's an extent, you know, because a lot of your brands you said are extension of you. Is that something that's come across? Is that something we may see down the road?
1: It's definitely something I thought of. It's very hard to navigate the (laughs) uh, legal aspects. (laughs) I bet uh,
0: that's a good point. Yeah. (laughs)
1: I mean we've had our little disputes here and there but I don't really need to be talking to Nike uh <laughs> attorneys so You're up. good point yeah good
0: good point good point um nice nice all right all right Aaron anything else we want to do with James before we wrap up yeah with- our
3: our counterfeits our, our counterfeits a big deal in the in the sneaker game good question yeah
1: yes absolutely it's huge i mean it's really, really a massive industry is counterfeit sneakers. And mm. most of them today are so good that it's extremely difficult to tell the difference. Um, so, yeah, there is kind of this whole black market
3: aspect of it also. So is there like, so I, I used to collect like baseball cards, then they would do like a grading process to make sure it's real, right. like what the quality is. Is there a grading of like sneakers? Kind of a thing. uh, Basically. Yeah. So like
1: if you're, if you, for example, like just to simplify it, if you're going to buy like a very high end, rare expensive pair of sneakers, most likely you're going to buy it through a third party website or app, which basically is an authenticator, Mm -hmm. right? Like you pay, they keep the money. The person with the shoes sends the shoes. They get authenticated. Everything's good. Then they get
3: sent to you, yeah. And they release the money to the the seller or whatever to make make everything. Right, right. That makes sense. Yeah, yeah.
1: Yeah. So it's a it's a big issue in that whole world is the whole counterfeit aspect. But
3: okay, yeah. Because I've seen like videos of like maybe like some of these shoes that you say that are like breaking down and people are like taking the shoes apart and maybe like Mm -hmm. kind of re revamping them to make them. Does that is that does that reduce the value of of a shoe because it's not original? um
1: depends on the shoe so it's kind of yes and no okay. like certain shoes i mean it's just a given that that's going to happen um you know so having a new sole if the person buying it actually wants to wear it it's mm-hmm. a huge positive okay. um is it going to be as valuable no um certain shoes it doesn't matter if it's okay. certain shoes are so rare that yeah even if it's got replace souls or whatever it is mm-hmm. um it really doesn't affect
3: it okay yeah, there's a there's a whole world here you know in this thing it's just like yeah nuts. oh yeah yeah, yeah. Like yeah. You can't, it's, all- it, it's almost like something like you like you feel like you can't get into it unless you're like going to dedicate a bunch of time to like really like get the history on like all the things that you need to watch out for to, to do it. It's just like, if you're not in by now, it's like, just let it go, you know, find, find something else that you could get in a little earlier on. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's,
1: it's a, it's a lot. You gotta, yeah. you gotta kind of be dedicated to yeah. it. Um, I'm wearing a pretty cool uh, pair today. I'm wearing a pair of Nike SBs. Oh,
2: nice. 720s. Nice. 720s. Nice. <laughs>
1: So like these are from 2006, I think. Uh uh-huh. um, But yeah, so they are. They are like mint condition, James.
0: That's like a mint condition. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> from 2006.
1: <laughs> well, yeah, you, you got to be very careful when you wear them. You know, you don't. Know
0: right. Right.
1: You, know, you kind of see me walk. It's not. Yeah, all that nat- its all, not all that natural, depending on what shoes I'm wearing, you know. Yeah. Do
3: you do you, you have, have those, like, um, Do you have a lot of those like little booties that like um like maybe utility guys wear when they come in your house to not track mud on your carpet? Like just keep your shoes nice when you're going to go in maybe a a shady part of town.
1: Um, not exactly. <laughs> or do you have special
3: shoes I, for that?
1: But no, they do make like uh, they make like a clear ah, okay. thing that you can like stick on the bottom. Yeah, it'll actually protect the the bottom. There you go. Um, I also use like these things that slide in under the toe box. Okay, um, that will actually they keep it from creasing when you walk.
3: Oh, that's cool um, too. So yeah, Man. yeah.
1: There's, a, I mean, I'm telling you, there's a hundred secondary markets <laughs> around I people have, like have blown me. Blown away.
3: <laughs> yeah. Whenever we bought sneakers, the, the big sell on when you bought sneakers was like uh water, what like water resistant spray or something like that that was the extent of our of our sneaker uh you know care
0: (laughs) i just wish i could keep a pair of sneakers that pristine i mean that's just i'm looking at that i'm like that that is that is dedication there yeah wow wow i mean that's amazing that's amazing Um, Well, James, I want to thank you very much uh, for being on the show tonight. I'm glad we were able to get you connected and everything. Do appreciate it. Absolutely. Yep. Always a pleasure talking to you. I know we'll see you at PCA this year. We will be there. Excellent. Look forward. Look forward to it a lot. And um, yeah, but we'll go from there, James. So appreciate it. Thanks for making some time today.
1: Yeah. Real quick, though, Coop, about PCA. What do you what do you think about the new date for next year? Oh,
3: okay. James, um, okay. <laughs> you want you, you want to hang around for twenty five twenty one minutes? <laughs> We're gonna talk about it, actually. <laughs>
0: you, yeah, you want you want to kind of come on, Iq, you want to kind of do one more segment? Do you have a little time? I have a little time, sure. Okay, it's not a long segment, that's why. So let me just do one more sponsor read because I, I'd like to get your take because I do have a very different take than most people on this. All right, so let me just read these. Uh, I'll do these reads, and hopefully my voice don't die. All right, uh, I want to mention. Um, J.C. Newman Cigar Company. Founded in 1895 by Julius Caesar Newman, J.C. Newman Cigar Company is the oldest family-owned premium cigar maker in America. For four generations and 127 years, J.C. Newman has been handcrafting many of the world's finest cigars. J.C. Newman is headquartered in an iconic 111-year-old cigar factory in the Ybor City National Historic Landmark District of Tampa, Florida. At the factory known as El Hole, J.C. Newman does premium cigars by hand and hand-operated antique cigar machines. Including the all American cigar, the American. The J.C. Newman Pencil Factory is the second largest in Nicaragua, where Brickhouse, Polo de Mar, El Baton, Quorum, and Yagua cigars are hand rolled. J.C. Newman's Diamond Crown, Maximus, Julius Caesar, and Black Diamond cigars are handmade by tobacco are A. Fuente in the Dominican Republic. With longtime partners, the Arturo Fuente family, the Newmans founded the Cigar Family Charitable Foundation, which supports low income families in the Dominican Republic with education, healthcare, vocational training, and clean water. Visit Newman.com to learn more. And my Casa Cuevas cigars. The Cuevas family has five generations of experience in cigar making. For many years, they have manufactured cigars for many industry leaders out of the Los Labas factory in the Dominican Republic. Now, the Cuevas family has brought their very own brand to market with Casa Cuevas cigars. You can try the Casa Cuevas line, the Cuevas Reservoir line, including the latest release of the Casa Cuevas Sangre Nueva. If they don't carry it, be sure to ask your local tail for Casa Cuevas cigars. Casa Cuevas cigars from our Casa de yours, And we're going to get into our Dumbarton Tobacco and Trust industry deliberation talk segment. Uh, There is no deliberation when it comes to Dunbar and Strack Records since launching in 2015. This has included eight consecutive top three appearances on the Half-Life Consensus, including number one cigar of the year in 2020 with the Tricky Trickitaka and 2022 with the Micarita Saka Khan. Visit DTT Cigars to find the purveyor that carries the brand of Dunbar tobacco and trust. So, uh, James, this was actually a very timely question you asked, right? Because this is exactly what Aaron was going to talk about. So um, I think it's perfect timing here um i thought let me just kind of preface this right we'll, we'll get into the day change i thought there was this was a really interesting and i don't know you may think differently james but from my perspective this was probably the most interesting week i've ever seen in the pca's history the date change was made there was some changes made to the schedule um which i know aaron disagrees with me on we'll get into that that I thought were good. And then the announcement that STG is returning, which uh, um, they're returning. And, uh, you know, I, I don't know how everyone feels about that, but um, certainly that was a big thing. But let's talk about the date change. Um, you asked me about it. I wanna, um, I'll tell you my opinion and then we'll get Aaron's. I didn't like it. I do agree they had to move the date out of July, but. I didn't like it because um, it's it's cramming the whole schedule up for the first quarter, and um, ultimately it's going to put a strain on a lot of manufacturers. I don't know
3: what you thought, Aaron. Yeah, I mean, I think it was whether it needed to be moved or not, I don't know. Um, But yeah, I kind of agree with you. Like, everything there's so much stuff down going on in that around Q1. It's just crazy. You have uh, PCA, TPE, you have the two uh, cigar festivals. Um and then whatever else might be happening, I know C A is going to move out, move out. So it's not that doesn't yeah. play in there. But there's a lot of stuff in that first quarter. I ha- I always <laughs> have been a, a proponent of having it early in the year, yeah, uh, rather than in the middle of the year because I think that's better for uh retailers that are not in, um, you know, like always smoking weather, like the ones that are in, you know, the north northeast, like that. They have they have a winter that they don't maybe don't sell as fast. So you know, getting having that event during more maybe more of their downtime and where you can kind of have the announcements of the cigars then and then they may start rolling out when the selling season start ramps up for them i've always thought that was nice um but personally it's just a it's not a good week for me on an every other year basis because i have another commitment that i deal with for baseball but um yeah i mean it's a good time for vegas i guess because of the march madness and maybe you get a lot of buzz going on there but um, yeah it's just it's it's so busy at that time it might be tough James, what about you
1: i mean yeah i i think from you know an exhibitor standpoint um you know the idea of doing tpe and turning around a month later and doing pca is just like i mean it's it's kind of crazy you know what yeah. i mean like in terms of logistics and travel and expenses and, you know, all of those, those things that come into play, um, you know, also for, for brands like ours that like to launch new product, um, you know, at the shows, I mean, that really like brings everything into, you know, a very early part of the year, mm-hmm. um, which is really difficult to to kind of figure out because you're going to need to be, you know, basically a year ahead already figuring out okay what's what's going to be launching in march um and you know and and then it kind of cuts out the idea of doing something for both shows you know because they're so close together so i don't know i mean i understand people's complaints about july especially from retailers perspective i get it um but yeah this just seems like uh, us as, as exhibitors are being forced to choose one or the other right. you know which, which really mm-hmm. kind of sucks I mean I think that you know we were just at TPE kind of I mean this is our second time but really our first time to, to put something into it and you could see the potential there and I feel like this is going to be a step back mm-hmm. uh, for that show you know what I mean? Because I think a lot of people are going to be forced to choose, which really sucks.
3: And, I mean, that might be one of PC's reasons for moving during this time frame, is because you know they have a feeling of they want to be able, they want to be the show. Yeah, that they can take yeah. away from TPE doing this and that, and they may find that find that beneficial to them.
0: Yeah, I mean, I I uh, said that the other night on Matt Ty's show that um, you know I felt there's there's you know PCA said. You know, they could say there's no competition, but when you read the PCA website, it says, "Hey, you know, we're the only trade show that gives back to the industry." You know, um, as opposed to for profit, um, you know, it's clear that there's they're they're taking a shot there at their competition. There's no there's yeah. no way you can tell me not. Um, you know, the one thing I, that that I learned because um, Jay Davis on the board was on that show, um, and and I understand this. Okay, if they had a bad deal at the Sands, which it was a bad business arrangement. They had to get out of it. So I, I have no problem with that. And I understand that there were people who wanted this trade show out of July. I just didn't like the March dates. Um, and I probably would have kept it as is until I could get more favorable dates. I think this should be a late April or, um, or mid-May event. You, you can't do early May because of Mother's Day. But that's what I would have did. I just think it's too, much, um, too early in the year um and and james you mentioned it earlier when we were talking you do your factory tours and like you just said you just finish these up so i mean things like that are things you know a lot of manufacturers do that this time of the year
1: oh yeah i mean it's it's kind of the big time for people to be in nicaragua you know what i mean it's the growing season it's you know everything's you know everything's happening during that time. And, and really, you know, as a brand owner or a manufacturer, you know, you're still very early in the year laying things out, you know, for the rest of the year. So mm-hmm. um, like I said, like trying to to fast forward all that into, you know, a very short time frame at the very beginning of the year just kind of leaves, I don't know, it's, it's going to be an interesting kind of juggling thing to, to make all those things line up. Uh, The way they should, you know, and I think that, you know, for us, our PCA releases have always been a really big deal. Yeah. um, And it drives a lot of business for us to the booth. And but the the thing is, is like we have a whole, you know, half of the year to build up to that, you know, to kind of to build up the hype and all that stuff. And, um, you know, I don't know, it's going to really be strange how it affects retailers buying habits as well. You know, because although the July date isn't ideal, it's a busy time for retailers, right? So March, eh? Like, are they really going to be buying that much in March? You know, for for the next April, May. I mean, they're not even in the summertime yet. Like, so I don't know. I I feel like uh, as exhibitors, we're going to really feel it's it's going to be a slower show in terms of sales. I think because people Mm -hmm. just aren't ready to commit to that those types of bigger buys at that time of the year you know it doesn't it doesn't make a lot of sense for them
0: yeah i mean and Um, you're gonna have three potentially that's three buying opportunities in the in nine and nine months span the uh july pca this year then tpe and then the march 2024 tpe i mean pca so yeah yeah. so i don't see unlimited funds by retailers with this so something is going to Ultimately, it's going to dilute, I think, all three of those shows in terms of buying power. Yeah,
1: I mean, I will say that I think that, you know, looking past 2024, if they do move the PCA outside of Vegas, I think it's going to be an even worse scenario than, Mm. you know, this March show. I mean, I think if if they do what everybody's, you know, the rumors say they're going to do and and leave Mm. Vegas, Honestly, man, I just don't don't see how that's going to be favorable for anybody. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I mean, if like I tell people, I think people have short memories of New Orleans 2015. Yeah. Uh, now, <laughs> sure. it won't be it won't be an a July or August New Orleans show. I get that. But it's a very different trade show now how you look at it. Yeah, um, No, it is,
1: you know, and I, I kind of get the feeling with a lot of retailers that I talk to is that, you know, the minute things become very inconvenient for people, uh, their interest level goes down tremendously. You yeah. know, I mean, even even the fact of moving out of the sands to to the convention center, you know, everybody loved being able to just stay at the Palazzo, stay at the Venetian, yeah. you walk, you're right there, you don't have to rent a car, you don't have to take an Uber, you don't have to get on the tram. Like, even now, people are going to be upset about that. Yeah. You, know, you move to a place like New Orleans where, you know, you're going to have to rent a car, Uber, whatever. Yeah. Like all the restaurants are far away. Everything, you know, there's nowhere to smoke. Like, I mean, it's just, you're yeah. taking the convenience factor away 100%. And I yeah. just don't know how people are going to respond. You know, a couple
0: of years ago, PCA, they tried to set up the smoking areas on the convention, in the convention area, because they didn't know if you could smoke in the casinos at the time, right? And it turned out that um you could smoke on the casino floors. And everyone pretty much wanted to smoke on the casino floor. I I think there's something about like being able to smoke in the vibe of the place you're at. And you know, if they I know they could set up areas to smoke at the New Orleans Convention Center, but I don't think it's gonna have the same effect, James, as you just said, of kind of experiencing people wanna are gonna go there. They want to experience New Orleans with with a cigar somewhere, you know, or yeah, with, in the right. company of other people. So I think that is going to be a major problem as far as that goes. Um, and that's I, I worry about attendance with that. Um, I'm not saying the PCA can't put on a good show in New Orleans. They, they can, they'll try, but will it be enough to get people there? I, I, I this is just from what I, my ear to the ground. I think PCA would prefer to keep this show in Vegas, though. They may not have an option because again, the situation. I guess at the Venetian. They kind of don't think they can do that anymore.
1: Yeah, I mean, we'll see what happens, but you know, I mean, even the not only the 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 retailers, but I mean, when you when you look at the the exhibitors, right? Like, if I got to pay to move my booth from Las Vegas to New Orleans and back, yeah, and then where is it going to be the year after that? Is it going to be somewhere else? I mean, you know, my expenses for the show of just doubled at least you know and you're probably going to have less attendance um so i don't know man it's just it's an interesting time i think i'm very pro pca i think it's a great show we always do really well there and i think you know they they but i just i don't know man these changes i i think are not going to be good
0: yeah yeah like i said i i have pretty much been Against the changes, I under like I said, I understand like I understand why they made them. Though, and there are people who have been clamoring for these changes. So, so that, but I'm just wondering what they wish for is really the answer. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. All right. Um, let me ask just just a couple of questions on this before and I want to move on to um a couple of these other PCA things. Um, how do you first of all look at this from? I want to answer from three perspectives. Let's first of all let's look at it from. I think we talked about the manufacturer perspective. James, you gave us that perspective already. Aaron, do you have any more more opinions on the manufacturing perspective, like how this affects the manufacturers who are supporting like this change in the date?
3: Um, I think the first year obviously would be that will be the challenge because of the to, the you know yeah. they have a that July show and then they have the March show. But then after that first show, and I, I'm pretty sure Steve Sock has said this quite a bit on social media is like after that, then you get in your normal rotation of it's a year apart, right? Yeah. So you get that going, but the first one's going to be a, a weird thing that people are going to have to figure out. Like, are they going to be able to produce a cigar that they can release, you know, kind of at the show right. or is it going to be kind of, we'll, we'll talk about it. We'll show you it at the show, but you're still not going to get it until July or later in the year or whatever it is. Yeah. So we'll, I think you have to figure that, that piece out and see how it works. Or maybe they're just doing it, you have to think about like when does retailer have money? Like they just got to, you know, they just went to TPE. Do they have money, you know, a month later? um, Or do I need to, you know, release the cigars later on in the year and I could take orders, but I'm not obviously charging them or whatever, or see how it is. Or maybe, maybe they find a great medium here. And the the deal is I'm going to take orders for something that I'm, I'm yet, I'm like, I really haven't gone into full production on it, but I'm going to take the orders. And now I see what, the order I like and I'll just produce to the order kind of a thing and then yeah. maybe that's a I, I've seen that's kind of been happening on a few things like kind of some of Abe's like pre-sale projects and things like that yeah. where there's you know people are kind of like pr- producing to the order and things like that maybe some thing something like that uh, starts occurring from this type of a thing I don't know.
0: Right that makes some sense yeah.
3: And you could tell me I'm full of shit James if That if that wouldn't fly for you <laughs> to be able to do something like that.
1: No, I mean everybody's got their own their own thing, you know. I mean we always try to be, I mean just from what we do, you know, like when we do a PCA stick or like we did the Santa at TPE. I mean mm-hmm. we like to be in stock, ready to ship. Yeah. Like I mean, a lot of those guys are getting their their orders delivered, you know, before they even get back to their shop. So right. I mean, it's not really how we like to do it we like to be ready to go but um yeah i mean i think like you said it's going to be a learning curve and it's going to be interesting to see how people kind of you know adjust to it not only from our standpoint but from the retailer standpoint as well you know yeah yep
0: um how about from the consumer standpoint do you think this affects anything if you're a consumer like we talk so much about it on these shows right but does, yeah. does this matter to the consumer or not is the question
3: um initially they might have that kind of weird time frame between you know april and the next january where there's like little talk of new of new stuff right unless people are actually releasing stuff at that time frame so like we have a big you know you have that one big first quarter bump of all kinds of announcements and then yeah. you have like a desert of nine months. I don't know if you know how that how that would hash out.
0: I, I think what you would see is stuff showcased at the show. And then like when it ships, they'll be we're shipping this now. Yeah. Some companies will do it that way. Cause I, I anticipate at least that first year, there's gonna be stuff that showed that in, in like March that probably is still going to come out late in the year. Right. But eventually I think it will it will settle. I don't I don't see like a lot of things changing from the consumer end on like you know, we talked about this log jam, but I don't see um the factory visits stopping because you can't have fact again like James, the rainy season in Nicaragua is like in May, right?
2: Yeah. So and you you long. have to have, yeah it's yeah. a
0: long rainy season so you have to have these things earlier in the year. The same yeah. with the festivals go in that boat right. So I don't see yeah. a lot of these things changing because of that. I just see, as I said I think it's just gonna be a um a harder load to balance for some, especially for some smaller people. But yeah, um yeah. But James, do you see anything else from a consumer standpoint?
1: I mean, I think it all is just gonna depend on it's gonna depend on the brands and the manufacturers right. and how they choose to roll things out. You know, like kind of what you guys were saying like if they're if they're showcasing product and shipping it months and months later that's one scenario um but you know if everybody's just dropping all the new stuff in a span of you know a few months then that's definitely going to have a big impact you know yeah yeah
3: yeah people i think retailers have to really pick and choose in what they want to bring in if everything's happening at that one time and then the consumer has to really deter- determine can my retailer support the stuff that I would really want to buy or am I to have to kind of like straddle a few retailers to get what I want kind of a thing. So yeah, yeah this whole, yeah, it's going to be,
1: yeah. And I think, uh, you know, curve. when it, when it comes to like the exclusive product from either TPE or PCA um, I think that's really where you're going to see uh, things shift possibly if retailers decide I can't make both shows, mm-hmm. right? So if they're forced to pick one show over the other, then obviously they're not going to have access to a certain product that was at that show, but they have access to this other one. So that might also shift things a little yeah. bit as well, you know?
0: Yeah, no, that's true. That's very true on that. Uh, last part of this, um, and this, Aaron, and I could probably answer this, but um, the media. How's this? I mean, I could. I'll answer for the media. Really simple. There's gonna be other things that are gonna be covered less by 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 us. I'll I'll probably put PCA first, just on my priority. But I will tell you, there's other things that are gonna be covered. Um, that are we covered are probably not gonna be covered next year.
3: Yeah, yeah, it's tough to shove everything in that first quarter. I mean, um, you know, a lot of the, a fair amount of the media is not this is not their primary job so you know they have to take time off them their regular jobs to cover this yeah. kind of stuff so you know can you take that much time off in that three-month span to you know cover all the stuff you want to cover uh expense-wise does it make sense all that so yeah there's you know there'll be there'll be choices to be made in regards to that as well
0: no it, it it's definitely true with that um you know um I I'm hearing from a few people already you know who do depend on sponsor money and I know sponsors sometimes a bad word but you know you do need sponsor money sometimes to get out to the trade show and I think there's some media brands that are already concerned they may not be able to, to hit, get a hit that quick again yeah for for sponsorship so it definitely um will will play into that um for but you know the other problem I'll just mention you know there's two times in the year where I do less reviews, usually it's during the festival season, and then the other part is the p c a season yeah um, and when I don't do reviews, it does affect traffic sometimes, right yeah, um, where I could have I have more traffic with, well, basically what happens is if i can if I could do like festival and reviews, I have more traffic, right? yeah, but if I have all these things, chances are I'm not gonna be able to do reviews, and I'm concerned yeah. about what that would mean not having the reviews integrated in there. Right. Because reviews still do and like we do reviews because there's still very good traffic with it. So yep. that's another concern I have. Yeah. Um as well. Yeah. All right. Um there were two other announcements I want to talk about. Um and the second one was James, I don't know if you saw this, but um Aaron and I have talked about this already. So I know he's got a different opinion. Um they have changed the schedule of PCA this year quite a bit. Um, what they have done is the opening breakfast has now, it's no more opening breakfast. It's moved to Friday. And the keynote's now going to be Friday afternoon. It's not going to be a breakfast thing. It will be a Friday afternoon thing. Um, they're adding a couple of blending seminars, and they're adding a uh, a docudrummer premiere from the handroll guys. Um, I thought this was all really good. I liked it. Um, I thought it was really positive. Um, kind of got me
3: interested in stuff. Aaron, what were your thoughts on that? Um, I, I mean, I could take the breakfast thing, take or leave it. I mean, it's not a big deal for me. Um, you know, they've kind of um, lessened that whole event um, over the last few years. Yeah,
0: they took the eggs out though. That was yeah. A <laughs> yeah,
3: they took the bacon out. That's the bigger problem. Yeah, they
0: just took the bacon out. That was a yeah. bad move. Um, hey, J J Davis fought for our
3: bacon, by the way. Just you know. Yeah, yeah, he, he, yeah. He needs to work a little harder. Sorry, Sorry. But, but, yeah, exactly. Um, the um the docu series thing is cool. I think that was one of the better years um, of the trade show when the hand rolled uh, screening happened. I think that really kind of started the show off on a a good trajectory. Really, a lot of positivity going on. I think that was just a really good vibe. So I'm I'm all for kind of seeing if you can recapture that with a you know another kind of industry focused um thing. Uh, the blending seminars are okay. I mean, I know last year they did the, you know, they had the Fuente one and that got a lot of buzz and stuff like that. Um, so they're kind of going back to that, but they have two. Um, I'm not sure two are needed, you know, two blending seminars are needed. Uh, I know one is a panel and one is the Toscano one. Um, it's okay. Uh, but, I mean, you know, me not being a retailer, it's hard for me to say, you know, whether that's attractive and that's, Really, who you're trying to attract as a is Like, are blending seminars something that retailers, you know, go gaga over? You know, is that is that driving them to the to the trade show? Um, or is it something else that they should be focusing their time on? So, you know, maybe one blending seminar, fine, two. I don't know that there's value for for two of them. Um, and then the keynote um with this mentalist magician, like that that's the old PCI I know. Bring in a speaker that has zero to do with the industry i know that you sometimes you want to raw some people but that's i just don't see there's much value in that so to me that's like falling down in the process you had you kind of had me at the docu series. you okay with the blending seminar and then you get to the keynote speaker and you're like all right you've lost me so um yeah i kind of i'm lukewarm on the whole setup
0: um you you did you did win me over on one thing aaron while you were talking um I, I do think the two, maybe there's two blending seminars are too much. And I've been to blending seminars and these scheduled are only 45 minutes. You're not going to get a lot out of them. Yeah. So I probably would have went with one two hour one instead is what yeah. I would have did. Um. But again, I think it's a more interesting agenda, Aaron, than, you know, point of sales. And I, I know this is a bad word to say. Legislative updates. Yeah,
3: I know. They, <laughs> yeah, don't want to sit through FDA discussions yeah. and stuff. Like, that. I get that they want to have a little bit more fun and stuff like that. But like, you know, this the there there are options to do that are like top level that you can I think implement and be like really really good sessions. Uh, I mean, you have a whole you really have a whole day, like take advantage of an entire day and you know get people involved and stuff like that. But I just they're, they're just not quite there yet.
0: Yeah, no, um, but at least, I mean, you, you've had, Aaron, I don't know if folks have heard your idea. Maybe you want to say it again if folks haven't heard it, but you've had a really good idea for, like, an event the day before the show.
3: Yeah, I mean, I, I really think there should be a retailer competition. I think you should bring in your guys that work, you know, work your humidor, and, like, <laughs> some panel kind of creates this kind of a scenario that they're going to be tested on. And it's just you're putting retailers up against each other and really yeah. trying to get a feel for like who's got the best, you know, who has the best people in the humor. And then other retailers can watch this and you know, not just because if their person is in the competition, but really seeing like what somebody that kicks ass in a humor can but, do. Um and kind of really, you know, maybe they could take something back to their their staff or themselves and you know, step their game up a bit. But you know, things that are really helpful to to retailers, um, you know that they can they can learn at the show or you know some peer group things or something like that or they're they're working together to try to make each other better i know there's you know there's competition in in retailers but you could set it up where you have retailers you know across the country in these small groups that they're not competing against each other actually locally and they can they can help each other out
0: oh i agree i like it and then the last announcement came yesterday. Um, and James, I'm kind of curious if you think this is a positive or negative for companies like you is the return of uh, STG to the trade show, uh, at least with the Forges group. So it looks like one of the big fours coming back. Is this something, James, you look at? Is this good for you,
1: bad for you, indifferent? I'm kind of curious. Um, I would say for me personally, I'm a little bit indifferent about it. Like, you know, I would say that I know people got kind of worried about traffic things like that when a lot of the bigger uh companies ended up pulling out but you know we we didn't see an impact you know every year PCA has been you know bigger and better for us in terms of sales and and customers so um you know to me it doesn't really matter i don't i don't think they're they're really bringing anything and i don't think they're taking away so you know i i i, I don't worry myself about you know them pulling business or bringing business i I think it's kind of i think it's kind of just it is what it is they're there so they're there you know what i mean um but i i think it's interesting because you know in my opinion you know with a lot of these companies i mean at the end of the day you can talk about politics you can talk about you know, all these different aspects of why you don't want to be there. Um, But I think the reality is, is the the show has shifted a bit, you know, and and I think if these guys were crushing it at the show, um, you know, they wouldn't be, they wouldn't be, you know, using the politics of the PCA and all of these things as their reasoning, um, you know, they would be there. Um, And I think that just the buying habits, um, you know, of retailers have shifted. And it's not been necessarily in the favor of a lot of those, those bigger companies, you know, with the massive boosts and and things like that. And, um, and I think we saw that, you know, when they pulled out, I mean, I think attendance was no worse for sure. Um, you know, and the people that were there were there to do business with the brands that were there. And, um, we didn't really see a, a negative effect from it. So, um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, if it's if it's good for the overall bottom line of the PCA, I think that's great. But you know, they're not there, it doesn't really make a difference to, right. to me. Right. Uh Aaron, what do you think?
3: Um, I mean, I think it could only be really a positive. I mean, if it brings additional retailers that, you know, want to come to see them and then they you know stop by another booth that they, you know, if they didn't attend, they wouldn't stop by. I mean, I think it's really only a positive. I, don't, I can't really see any negatives in regards to it. Um, you know, it's just, they have the easiest easiest excuse to come back because they've purchased these companies in kind of consecutive shows where they have, um, you know, they they now have that booth space available to them. You know, I, I'm assuming they could cancel if they wanted to cancel the space, but like, you know, they have the space, you know, they kind of say, oh, eh, you know, we acquired this company. They already had it reserved. We can kind of hop in. It's not really this like, Oh, we can Well, they did it last they back. did it last year. You don't have to really say the cave then it came back. It's they're only bringing, you know one side of the portfolio, all that kind of stuff. So um, you know, I I think it's fine. Um, you know, I don't really see a, a big a big negative or anything that would could be seen from it. Yeah.
0: I think the fact that they made a joint announcement, STG and the PCA right at the same time yesterday, yeah, told me that it's a little more than we're just going into the booths. And and yeah. taking it over, I think there is an objective to kind of come back to the show. But if I'm them, why would I mean I wouldn't commit to being at the show beyond this year. I mean, just because things could change in your business, yeah. you know? so I mean, I wouldn't come out and just say that. But at least you know, take it on a year by year basis. I mean, James, you you probably you know you have a big boost, but things could change maybe, and you can't do a show one year or whatever. So yeah, especially yeah. if it moves to New Orleans. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, uh. But you, yeah, James. Your booth is uh. I I've always loved that booth with the with the different brands in each corner. It's always a great laid out It's a, one of the best laid out booths. I got to tell you that. So I, I love that booth covering it every Thank year. you. Yeah. So it's Thank a it's you. a nice layout. So um, and it's a large booth. It's not a small booth you have by any means.
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, and it's it's one of those things where I kind of feel like um it's an interesting comparison between PCA and and TPE, right? Because PCA is, you know, a little flashier, a little glossier. Um, But, you know, I feel like I don't, I don't understand why people want to be kind of on this downgraded scenario for TPE. Um, You know what I mean? Like I kind of feel like if, if we want to build the cigar side of TPE, like let's, do it and do it right instead uh, of I, you know, I like, like what you're saying. That was so, my big criticism of TPA, Yes. Yeah. So I, I don't really understand that mindset. I mean, I get it. It's a bit cheaper or whatever, but I mean, I just don't know that you're gonna have the impact. You know what I mean? Like I think that you know, say what you want about big boosts and this and that, but at the end of the day, like, you know, you're 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 making an impact, you're trying to make a statement, you're trying to get people to come in and want to come in. And, you know, I feel like, you know, with TPE, it's just kind of a, it's just not there. You know what I mean? Like I would say that if if we were going to long-term commit to TPE, we would definitely want to make more of an investment in it and, you know, have it be more impactful.
0: Yeah. I mean, my reaction to, I haven't been there in three years, so I want to be fair. But when I was there three years ago, my reaction was I thought the cigar side looked like a flea market compared to the other side. I mean, I mean, you know, I just feel the investment wasn't there. But a lot of people, like you said, were, were were content with that, which surprised me. But I remember James, your booze at originally when you were at at, at the IPCPR, and I mean, you had small booze to start out with, and and yeah. obviously you saw the need. I think that something you know it made business sense to do that.
1: No, absolutely. I mean, yeah. you know, it's it's. I mean, a lot of this industry is perception, right? Like, like you don't want to look like you're not doing well, you know? I mean, you want to, you know, you kind of need to look like you're selling a lot of uh, products that you're important that you, you know, you're there for a reason, you know? And I think that's, that's kind of the thing is you have, you have to make a good impression because, you know, a lot of times at those trade shows, that might be your first impression uh, on a group of retailers, you know? And, so yeah, I I, I think that um, it's it's interesting, and I'm I'm hoping kind of the vibe that I was getting from TPE this year is that the cigar side is growing and going to continue to grow, and hopefully we see it as kind of more important to people uh, and important enough to kind of put on a better display. Did I wasn't at
0: TPE this year. Were, were you there this year personally? Yes.
1: Okay, because I know the year I went, you weren't there. I remember. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, we haven't really. I don't. I don't know. It's we did it. Um, was it 2019? I think. Um, but it was really kind of like just testing the waters, you know, mm-hmm. and kind of seeing right. what it was all about. So, um, you know, this year we wanted to to kind of do it, do it, you know, better, um, and really try to get a feel for it, um, you know, a little bit more. And um, I think oh, it was interesting. It was an interesting show for sure definitely different um uh but it was good for us overall so
0: well good for you guys good for you guys all right um Aaron, anything else we want to hit on this before we close no, out
3: yeah we covered it
0: all right um so uh, james thanks for sticking around And again yeah um, definitely you had some really good insights on this so i do appreciate that so thanks as well yeah, absolutely. Yep. Yeah. Um, and Aaron, thank you as well. A uh, mm-hmm. couple programming notes: uh, Primetime time uh, episode two hundred and sixty-two next week, um, to be determined. So stay tuned. Uh, what that show will be? Uh, that's on April sixth, and then on April fourth, we're gonna do special edition one hundred and thirty-nine. That will be our baseball show. Mm-hmm. So stay um, stay tuned for that. <laughs> we'll see what happens. So we'll have the, I think we're gonna have most of the crew there for that one. So. Yeah. That'll be on uh, Tuesday night, uh, 9.15 Eastern time, 6.15 Pacific time. James, thanks again. Uh, Thanks to our audience. That's going to wrap up Primetime Episode 261 into the annals of history at the stroke of midnight for March 31st, 2023. Actually, the show aired on March 30th, 2023. We hit the stroke of midnight. We'll see everybody next time. Take care, everybody. See you guys.